Well, let's begin this morning by reading our text for this morning. We're going to look at Matthew 7, chapter, or verses 15 to 20. But let's begin, we'll start reading in Matthew 7, starting at verse 13. Last, last week we looked at verses 13 and 14, and, and we called that sermon, Repent or Perish. And today our sermon is called, Beware or Perish. And so repent or perish, and now beware or perish. Look at Matthew 7, starting at verse 13. Jesus says, Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life and those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes? Or figs from thistles? So, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits." Jesus urged his disciples at the end of this Sermon on the Mount to enter by the narrow gate. There's a broad gate and there's a a broad path that leads to destruction and many go that way. That way we saw last week is a a way not of the world, but this is a a way of professing Christians. It's a, a religious path. Jesus spoke these words to his disciples and he's warning us that many people will think they're on the path to life, but in reality, they are headed to destruction. They are headed to hell. And by contrast, a narrow gate and a narrow path leads to life. It leads to heaven, leads to eternal bliss in God's presence. Jesus tells us that those who find it are few. What did that mean? Well, the narrow gate and the hard or the constricted path represents the life of God-centered righteousness that Jesus calls us to in this sermon. And few people will enter into this life of God-centered righteousness. And that would explain then the the Beatitudes that began this sermon. Remember, those who are, are in those states, those who are poor in spirit and peacemakers and persecuted for righteousness' sake and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness and all of those things that, that Jesus said in the Beatitudes, those, those who are like that are blessed because they are part of the few. There's a, a blessing to have entered into that few people that, that, that enter into those states. Those people are blessed because they're in an enviable position because they've found that narrow gate and they've entered into this life. But Jesus says, compared to the many on the Broadway, there's going to be few who will enter into the life that this sermon says we must enter into if we would be saved. Over and over again, as we've kind of gone through this sermon over the last year and a bit, over and over again, we've said something like this, that the, the saved person, according to the Sermon on the Mount, is a transformed person. They have a new nature. They're a new creation. They've been changed by grace so that they are, they're no longer who they were. The saved person is a, a lover of God and a pursuer of righteousness. But many, again, many won't come that way. They'll have a low view of God and they'll have a shallow concern for righteousness. Many won't come that way. They, they might, they might love the world as we just kind of think through this sermon. They might be lovers of the world and worry about it. They might care about what people think more than what God thinks. They might keep the outward commandments of the law, but ignore the spirit of the law or ignore the, the thoughts and intentions of the heart where God also demands righteousness, where the, the true Christian will have righteousness in their hearts. 
And all of these things that we've seen as we've examined what, what Jesus demands of a, of a citizen of his kingdom, these are, these are all the things that he has told us. He says in, in chapter 5 and verse 20, for example, again, our righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. According to Matthew 5 and verse 48, our aim is to be perfect as our Father in heaven is perfect. Our righteousness is done before God who sees in secret and, and not just before men to be praised by them. Our righteousness is to be practiced in the hidden person of the heart. Our righteousness is primarily seen in the desire of, of chapter 6 and verse 9, hallowed be your name. Or the single eye of Matthew 6 verse 22, which saw God as our treasure. Or the pure heart of Matthew 5 and verse 8 that wanted to see God. Or in Matthew 5 and verse 16, which says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Our righteousness is primarily seen in the language of Matthew 6 and verse 24, where it says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. And so we are those who are true believers, true Christians, those who are true citizens of Jesus' kingdom, we serve God and we love God and we are devoted to Him and we serve Him as a slave and we, we give all of who we are to Him so much so that we could be said to, to, to actually hate other things and to despise the world. The Christian life, according to Jesus, means a supernatural transformation that results in a love for God and a love for righteousness. Let me say that again. The Christian life, according to Jesus, means a supernatural transformation that results in a love for God and a love for righteousness. And Jesus urged his hearers to enter into that life and to remain on that path. He had just promised in Matthew 7 and verse 7 that if we would ask, it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Verse 8, for everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. And then he told us to enter into this way. And so now we can ask something like this, I think. We could ask, what would keep someone from entering into this life that Jesus calls his disciples to. Just think about that. What would keep somebody from entering in into this way? What would be a major hindrance to enter through the narrow gate? And well, we could answer, well, maybe the, the broad gate and the broad path that has many people on it, many who, who did not find the narrow gate and the narrow way, and, and those people will influence us. Those people are, are not at all concerned about the way that they're on. They're going to be unconcerned. They're not, they're not asking. They're not seeking. They're not knocking for the narrow way. They think they're on the path to life. And, and those many will likely have an influence on the few who are seeking life. And as a little bit of a, a side note here, we, we might just need to note that those of us few who would, who would be saved, who would follow after Jesus, we must be prepared to stand alone. Or at least to stand with the few, to stand in a, a place different than the many. But there's a particular person on the broad path that we need to be aware of. A particular person or people, a particular type of person who will try to persuade us not to enter by the narrow way. And this particular person is, is one of the many, but they're a, a spokesperson for the many. See, if you would enter rightly into life and walk the way that Jesus calls us to walk, you must beware of false prophets. You must recognize false prophets who would lead you astray. And with this false prophet, we could also add, I think, as we think about this this morning, we could add the false teacher. False prophets and false teachers kind of go hand in hand. We must beware of them, and we must learn to recognize them. Now, perhaps this surprises us, this talk about false prophets and false teachers. We might be all for calling others to live this life and to live this way that Jesus told us to in the sermon, 
We can say, you know, this is what the Christian life is and this is how we should live. But for some, it'll be harder to say this person is not a Christian. That is a, a false prophet or a false teacher. It makes us uncomfortable. It makes us, it, it, it seems uncharitable. How, how could, how could we tell, say that this person is a, a false teacher, a false prophet? In chapter seven, verses one to six, we saw the, the call not to judge. We're not to judge one another. We're not to have a high view of ourselves that looks down on others. And instead of condemning others, we saw there that, that we're to help them. We're to, to have concern for others. We're to help them to get the speck out of their eye. But here, as we start looking at these false prophets, we're not talking about a brother with a speck in their eye. We're not talking about a, a minor grievance. We're, we're dealing here more with what we saw in verse six. Do not give dogs what is holy. Do not throw your pearls before pigs lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. We're dealing with a, a dog or a pig, to use the language of 7-6. We're, we're talking here about somebody who would trample our pearls and turn to attack us. Only They're not only just going to trample our pearls and turn to attack us, they're, they're, they're actually trying to deceive us and lead us astray. They're more deceptive even than what we saw in chapter 7 and verse 6. And so we must beware of this person and we must beware of these people. We're not to necessarily judge them, not in the, the condemning, self-exalting sense, but, but definitely we are to judge them in the discerning and discriminating sense. And if we do not, and this is really important, if we do not, our spiritual lives are in great danger. Now, I wonder if we really get the priority of this and, and the danger of being led astray. Are you concerned? Are you, are, you know, just Grace Bible Fellowship, are you concerned about being led astray? You should be. You should likely be as worried about being led astray by false prophets and false teachers as you are about entering the narrow way, which we looked at last week. Jesus puts these things together for a reason. He puts these things together for a reason. He says, enter this way. And then immediately he says, beware of these false prophets. Now our time together in the word this morning should, should raise your awareness of the danger of false teachers and false prophets. Our time together should, should help you to recognize them and to discern them and to judge them, if you like to put it that way. And so it should help uh, raise our awareness, our, our, our watchfulness in this area. It's going to teach us how to recognize these false prophets and false teachers according to Jesus. And one more thing that this passage should do for us today, and, and this, this really shows us again what a masterful teacher our Lord is. He shows us again through this whole thing, this connection between who we are as saved or unsaved people and the, the way in which we live. You see, you are either a good tree or a bad tree. And you will either bear good fruit or you will bear bad fruit. A good tree bears good fruit. A bad tree bears bad fruit. And so our nature determines our action. A good nature means good actions. You're born again, it's going to bear fruit. If you're not born again, there will be no fruit. And it's, it's really that simple. We're new creations in Christ. We bear good fruit. If we are, if we have unregenerate, sinful natures, unsaved people, they bear bad fruit. And it's, again, it's that simple. And so while our Lord shows us how to discern a false prophet, he also once again reinforces everything that he taught us in the sermon, and he indirectly then has us to look at ourselves and ask ourselves again, what kind of a tree am I? Have I really entered in at the narrow gate? Am I a good tree that bears good fruit, or am I a bad tree that bears bad fruit? And so by by teaching about these false prophets, he also has us look at ourselves and ask ourselves these questions again. What kind of fruit am I bearing? Bad trees, unregenerate people, Jesus tells us, go to hell just like the broad way leads to destruction. Now we're going to look at our 
text then, that's what it should do for us. We're going to look at our text under two headings. The first one is the warning about false prophets in verse 15. And we'll spend a, a good amount of time there. And then we'll talk about how to recognize false prophets in verses 16 to 20. So the warning about false prophets. And then number two, the recognition of false prophets. So number one then, the recognition, or sorry, the number one, the warning about false prophets. Verse 15 says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. I think the best way for us to kind of unpack what's in this verse is, is to ask three questions about these false prophets. So we're going to ask three questions about them. And the first thing we need to ask, I think here as we come to this is, who are false prophets? Or, or yeah, who are false prophets? Who they are? So who are they? Who, who are false prophets? And to understand what a false prophet is, we should begin by knowing what a true prophet is. And to do that, I want you to turn to 2 Peter chapter 1, because I, I think this will be helpful to, to look at this passage here. So let's go over to 2 Peter. Second Peter chapter 1. A, a prophet is someone who, who speaks on behalf of God. Someone who speaks on behalf of, of God. And, and Peter, starting in verse 16 of First Peter chapter 1, he's, he's defending his testimony about the Lord. Look at verse 16, chapter 1, verse 16. He says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths, when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He says to the people, we didn't, we didn't make this stuff up. We were eyewitnesses. And he, and then he gives in verse 19 a, another defense of his testimony. And so the first def- defense is we were eyewitnesses. And then the second defense is going to be that we have the word of God. And, and he means by this the Old Testament. So look at verse 19. Then he says, and, so first of all, we, we didn't, we, we didn't follow these myths. We were eyewitnesses. Secondly, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you do well to pay attention to as a, as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. And Peter here calls the word the prophetic word. It was given through prophets. And he says, heed the word of God, which, which goes along perfectly with our eyewitness testimony. And in verses 20 and 21, then he tells us how prophecy, how, that is how true prophecy works. And so look at verse 20. He says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophet was ever, pro- no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So prophets were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And and they were carried along by the Spirit in such a way that they spoke from God. Don't miss that. Men spoke from God. The source of their speaking was God. It, It wasn't their will. It wasn't by their will that they spoke. It wasn't their interpretation. Their their speaking was from God. The Spirit of God carried them along and they, they spoke from God. And in the case of Scripture, what they spoke from God was also written down on paper. And this is why we trust our Bibles. Because of the nature of prophecy. We we, we see, we don't ultimately believe that this is Peter's word or this is Matthew's word or this is Moses' word. We believe that this is God's word through the human vessel. And so this is God breathed. The word of God is breathed out by God and it, it comes most ultimately from Him. And so that's what true prophecy is. The Holy Spirit is, is superintending or carrying these people along so that, uh, so that what a man says or writes is the word of God through that man. And we can say this is God's word, not Peter's word. They're, they're both working together, but ultimately the result of this process is that God's word 
is either spoken or written. Now look what Peter says immediately after that, in starting in chapter 2 and verse 1. He says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. And there he puts the false prophets and the false teachers together. False prophets arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing upon themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their sensuality, and because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. Peter says there's going to be false teachers just like there were false prophets in the Old Testament. False prophets and false teachers, they go hand in hand. A false prophet is someone who claims to be a prophet but is not a prophet. A false prophet says that that their words, or at least certain of their words, are actually words of God when they're not. They claim to have a gift of prophecy or to speak for God. And they'll say things like, the Lord told me. Or the Lord showed me, or even like the Old Testament prophets, thus says the Lord. That's a false prophet. Now, a false teacher is similar. They, they might not claim to have a direct revelation from God, but they'll claim to be a, a teacher. But what they teach won't be what God said. They, they won't accurately teach what God said. And hence, they're a false teacher. Peter says, even to the point of denying the master. They will secretly bring in destructive heresies. And he says there, many will follow their ways. There's that many again. False prophets and, and false teachers, they, they both claim to speak for God. False prophets, they go one step further by claiming to have direct revelation from God. But both of them claim to speak for God. Hebrews Chapter 1 and verse 1 says, Long ago, at, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. And so false prophets will come in the same thing they, in many times and many ways. And they might have dreams or visions or see, claim to have seen angels or who knows, maybe they did talk to an angel. Satan dis, dis, you know, dis, disguises himself as a, a minister of light, voices from heaven, visits from the angels of the Lord. Many times, many ways, God spoke to the fathers. But whatever the way or, or the ways, false prophets claim to know what God spoke. And false teachers will, will take the word of God and they will twist or misrepresent or misinterpret what God actually did speak. Now, for our purposes today, as we think about these false prophets, I think it's helpful for us to keep in mind both false prophets and false teachers because both are dangerous. Both would instruct us falsely. Both would lead us astray. Both would deceive us and either keep us from entering the narrow gate or from walking on the narrow path. 2 Timothy 3 and verse 13 says, evil people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Some of these people are the deceivers. Some of them are deceived themselves, but all of them will lead us away from the Lord and from the truth of his word. And so let's go back then to Matthew 7 and verse 15. We asked who these false prophets are. We saw who false prophets are. Now number two, let's, let's ask how false prophets come. How they come. Look at verse 15 again. Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. They come to you, it says, a, a characteristic of false prophets is, is that they will come to you. And when they come, they come in sheep's clothing. Now, sheep throughout Scripture represent God's people. David says, the Lord is my shepherd, right? The Lord is my shepherd. And if the Lord is my shepherd, then I am one of his sheep. 
Psalm 78 verse 52 says, He led out his people like sheep, and he guided them in the wilderness like a flock. Psalm 100 verse 3 says, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. And so sheep are God's people. And so these false prophets, they come, and they come looking as though they were believers, but they aren't. Jude verses 3 and 4 says, Beloved, although I was eager, very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord, Jesus Christ. They crept in unnoticed. They, they came as sheep. False prophets and teachers will look like true prophets and true teachers. They will say good things. They will teach truth with their lies. And they will seem, at least at first, they will seem godly in their character. Paul says in Acts 20, verse 29, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. And so false prophets will come dressed in sheep's clothing because their aim is to deceive or at least their aim is to gratify their own sinful desires. They want to look like a sheep so that they can devour the sheep without fear of the shepherd. Now the, the last question we want to ask is what do false teach, what do false prophets do? So let's look at what they do. False prophets and false teachers are, are not what they seem. They look like sheep, but but inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. They are, they're ravenous. That means that they're extremely hungry or greedy. They're not sparing the flock and they lead people astray. And to see that, I, I want to turn with you to turn with me to Matthew 24. So let's go to, to Matthew 24 as we think about what false prophets do. Jesus is talking about the end days here in Matthew 24. Just read some selected verses from here, starting at verse 3. Matthew 24, verse 3, As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming at the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. Verse 11, if we skip over there, it says, and many false prophets will ar arise and lead many astray. Verse uh, 23, then if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will arise and perform great signs and wonders, so as to lead astray, if possible, even the elect. See, I have told you beforehand. So if they say to you, look, he is in the wilderness, do not go out. If they say, look, he is in the inner rooms, do not believe it. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man. So will be the coming of the Son of Man. False teachers and false prophets will lead many astray. They will, as Peter said, they will bring in destructive heresies. They will secretly bring in destructive heresies. And as Christians, we grow by feeding on God's truth. And so falsehood in, in any form will stifle our growth. It will distract us from the truth and it will leave us malnourished at best and eaten by wolves at worst. Peter warns about this in 2 Peter chapter 3 and actually why don't why don't we just have you turn there as well second peter 3 second peter 3 so false prophets lead us astray they deceive us they bring in destructive heresies 
Verse 15, Peter says, Count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other Scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, look what he says, take care that you you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But instead of that, grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And so we need to be careful of this twisting of Scripture. That we, that we not be carried away into destruction, Peter says, into the, and, and, or lose our stability. We don't want to be carried away into the error of lawless people. That's what these so-called brothers would do is, is lead us astray and, and twist scripture and it would, it would hinder our spiritual growth. But in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, as we think about what, what false teachers do, Jesus is calling his disciples to a certain life. And remember, he's doing this for the very first time. He's shown them what they must be and, and what he has called them to be as believers. And, and now he calls them to enter into this life and he's, he's warning them to beware of false prophets who will lead them into lawlessness. And they, they won't, these false prophets won't call them to enter by the narrow gate. And if we look at the words right immediately following in Matthew 7, starting at verse 21, we kind of see the some of the results here as well, kind of carrying into the next section. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? There's a, maybe some false prophets here. Did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? Then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. And so the false prophet to be especially aware of is the one who would not emphasize the narrow way or who would not emphasize doing the will of the Father. Or probably better said this way, the false prophet won't emphasize the supernatural transformation of genuine saving faith. And so if we are to be aware of false prophets and teachers as we've seen, then the question comes, well, how are we going to recognize these people? I mean, they're, they're trying to sneak in unrecognized. They're, they're dressing like sheep. They're pretending to be Christians. Well, verses 16 to 20 help us recognize these people. And the short answer is, they cannot hide who they truly are on the inside. They cannot cover their nature no matter how hard they try. They might dress like sheep, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. And that nature, that wolf-like nature will eventually manifest itself. And so let's look, number two, the recognition of false prophets. Let's let's read verses 16 to 20 together again. You will recognize them, Jesus says, you will recognize them by their fruits. As are, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. At the beginning and the end of this section, Jesus says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Verse 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. Verse 20, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And so how do we recognize false teachers and false prophets? By their fruits. And so the question then is, well, what are fruits? What is a, What are the fruits that we're looking for? We're not talking about plants and trees. We're talking about people. What is the, the fruit that people produce? Well, let's look at that and just kind of through the book of Matthew to start. Look at, go to Matthew chapter three and starting at verse eight, John the Baptist talks about fruit as well. Matthew chapter three, 
verse 8, John the Baptist is, is preaching here. He says, bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father, for I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Actually, that last part of verse 10 where it says, every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. That's word for word the same as as chapter 7, verse 19, except John the Baptist has the word, therefore. And so it's almost a repetition of what Jesus says a little bit later. John wanted to see the fruit that was according to or, or worthy of repentance. And so good fruit here is, is deeds or a, a lifestyle that would follow from repentance. And in verse 8 where it says bear fruit, it, it's more literally just simply in, in the Greek, do fruit, do or make. So to, to do or to make. And so we're talking about the, the actions that come out of a life. Remember to repent is to turn away from sin. And, and when you turn from sin, you correspondingly turn towards God. And so John wants to see a, a change of behavior that would mark such a change of heart. Don't say to yourselves, John says, don't say, I'm okay, I've got Abraham as my father, everything's good, I'm a, I'm a true Jew. Instead, he says, turn from sin so that your life will begin to make good fruit, so that, so that beneficial good deeds begin to show where sin once flourished. Repentance produces Good fruit that can be seen outwardly in our actions, in our deeds, in, in what we do. Now, another text in Matthew that talks about fruit and good fruit is Matthew chapter 12. And so let's look over there. So on the one hand, good fruit is, is a, a life that comes out of true repentance from, from true turning from sin and turning to God. But now Matthew 12, And starting at verse 33, Jesus says to the Pharisees here, he says, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruit. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. Now this is very similar to our text in chapter 7. Jesus is talking to the Pharisees here, and he, he tells them that they are evil. And because they are evil, because of who they are, they speak evil. And in this context, the evil that they speak is rejecting Christ and speaking evil of Him. And what they need to do is they need to become something else. They need a a new nature. They need to become a good tree. They're an evil tree. They need to be made into a good tree. They need also, Jesus says, a new treasure, a good treasure. And then they will speak rightly about Christ. And so good fruit here means a new nature that loves Christ and that treasures Him. And that new nature will transform the outward actions. In this case, their words, the the words that come out of their heart. And so good fruit, kind of throughout Matthew, and in, in, in Matthew chapter 7, and, and in, the, in the Sermon on the Mount in particular, good fruit is very similar. Good fruit is the outward results of a new nature. A person transformed by grace will live a righteous life. In other words, fruit is, is just the life that we're called to live in this Sermon on the Mount. If someone doesn't have that, you can know that they're not a true representative of the Lord. If someone doesn't have the life that, that we are called to live in the Sermon on the Mount, you can know that they are not a true representative of the Lord. If someone claims to be a prophet and they do not live the God-centered righteousness as described in the Sermon on the Mount, they are a false prophet. And you should not listen to them. You should beware of them. You should avoid them. You should not think of them as a prophet. And it's really that simple. 
If someone claims to be a, a preacher or a teacher and they don't live a, a life of God-centered righteousness as described in the Sermon on the Mount, then you should still submit to God's Word, the Bible, but you should beware of that person and don't submit to their spiritual leadership. They're a false teacher. Now, as we think about false teachers in particular, we need to be somewhat more careful. Again, remember, part of the Sermon on the Mount includes a hungering and thirsting for righteousness. We're not to expect perfection of character. And you should be careful not to use the teaching here wrongly to avoid coming under the authority of God's Word. Even if a, a false teacher rightly shows you something that's in God's Word, you should obey what God's Word says. We need to come under the authority of God's Word. And we're also, according to Scripture, to come under the authority and care of spiritual leaders, imperfect ones even at that. But Jesus warns us, again, if they do not have a God-centered righteousness, beware. And you should find other leaders. You should go to another church if your church doesn't have leaders that have that kind of God-centered righteousness. False teachers are identified by their fruits. And honestly, brothers and sisters, as, as I, as I kind of think about this for myself and for future leaders of this church, if, if I or future elders in this church are lacking in this fruit and this God-centered righteousness that's, that we're called to live in the Sermon on the Mount, then I would want you to, to come and talk to me and, and show that to me or, or, um, or come and talk to us if it's somebody else. And, and, and if I, or if we don't listen, if we don't respond, if we don't, if we don't submit to this, what the Sermon on the Mount calls us to, and we refuse to change, then you need to find some other spiritual leader who is like this, and you need to warn others and go. You, and this is so important. Eternal life is too important. Growing in Christ is too important. False teachers and false prophets are too dangerous. You can't, you can't mess around with this stuff. You can recognize them by their fruits. You must recognize them by their fruits. And you must get away from anyone who claims to represent God who is not living according to the Sermon on the Mount. That's the teaching of this passage. Now, another question that at least comes to my mind is, how does it work this way? Or, or, or maybe, why can you know them by their fruits? How come this is a, a guaranteed way to test for false prophets? And so let's think about that. Look at, look at the text again. Jesus says in verse 7 to 16, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Well, what's the answer? Of course, no, right? No, and, and it actually, in the original, it's even a stronger no way. There's a, there's a construction here that this is no, they, of course not, Jesus. Thistles don't bear grapes or, or, or figs. And in the same way, Jesus says, things and people bear fruit according to their nature. And we've seen this already throughout the Sermon on the Mount. Again, look at verse 17. So, Every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. Every good tree bears good fruit. Healthy there is, is literally just simply good. Every good tree, every healthy tree bears good fruit. Every saved person, if we translate it to people, every saved person will bear good fruit. Rotten trees, diseased trees, evil trees, they bear bad fruit. Bad trees bear bad, bear evil fruit. In Greek, the, the verb translated bears is, is again, just like we saw with John the Baptist in 3 and verse 8, to, to bear fruit is to literally is to make a fruit or to do fruit. And so a Christian will do good as described in the Sermon on the Mount. And if they, if they don't, then we can say they have not entered the narrow way. If they have not entered, think about this, if they have not entered into the narrow way, how are they going to tell others to enter? If they haven't submitted to God's will in the Sermon on the Mount, how are they gonna, how are they gonna tell you God's will for your life? How are they gonna say anything that's gonna be helpful if they haven't even entered in at the very beginning? 
Verse 18 says, a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. This is the same as verse 17 only stated negatively. There's an impossibility of acting contrary to nature. No good fruit, no living of this life that we're called to in the Sermon on the Mount means, like we saw last week, you are not a Christian. This is very similar to the saying about, about salt that we saw at the, in the introduction of the Sermon on the Mount. I want you to, to turn back to that. Remember this, this saying about salt? Remember in, in five, starting at verse three in the Beatitudes from five, three to twelve, Jesus told us about the state of true believers. Remember they were poor in spirit, they mourned, they're meek, they hunger and thirst for righteousness, they're merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, they're persecuted for righteousness sake even. Those are, that's the state of kingdom citizens, the state of a true believer. That's how they are because of God's transforming work in their lives. And then immediately after that, Jesus says in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Now, I don't know if you remember, but do you, do you remember how we interpreted that saying there? Remember the, the primary characteristic of salt is that it's salty. And there's no use for unsalty salt. There's, there's literally no use of a salt that's not salty. And in the same way, if you're a quote Christian, but you lack the primary characteristics of a Christian, then you're good, for, you're not good for anything. In other words, if, if you're a Christian, but you don't live a life according to the Beatitudes, then, <clears throat> then you need to be saved from your so-called Christianity. You're like salt that needs to be made salty. How are you going to season it again? If you're a Christian without these characteristics, then what kind of a Christian is that? You need to, you need, you need to be Christianized as a Christian, and it's just not going to work that way. True Christians have the characteristics of Christians. They're born again. They're, they're good trees. And, and, and as such, Jesus says, they will, we will bear good fruit. And so very similar at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount to the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, verse 19, as we kind of continue on through this, verse 19 brings us back to the idea of judgment. The broad path we saw last week leads to destruction in verse 15. And now in verse 19, trees that don't bear fruit, regardless of whether they claim to be prophets, trees that don't bear good fruit will go to hell. Verse 19, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And you know what else that verse tells us? Even God, who could judge by the nature, He will judge by the fruit. He will judge, God will judge based on fruit. See, the principle that good, good trees bear good fruit is so sure that even the righteous and holy and perfect justice of God, He Himself will judge by the fruit. That's how guaranteed it is that in His mind that good trees bear good fruit. And once again, we see that anyone who does not live according to the Sermon on the Mount is headed for destruction in the fire of hell. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Now, a wolf in sheep's clothing may be able to deceive us for a while. But if we're wary and watchful, if we beware, we will eventually recognize them by their fruits. That is, we'll recognize them by their life. Now, we need to be careful and we need to carefully heed what Jesus says here. There are many false prophets and many false teachers today. This is so important that I even want to give you a couple of other tests to discern. We need to discern these people. This fruit test, this test that we just looked at is the ultimate test. Even God will judge by this rule. But Scripture gives us at least two other tests 
for prophets or for would-be prophets. And there's so much that I, I want to say here, but I'm going to try to be as brief as I possibly can. I, I want you to go to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Go to Deuteronomy 18. And I just want to show you th- this ethical test, this life test is the ultimate test, but there's a couple other ways we can recognize these false prophets, false teachers. In Deuteronomy 18, starting at verse 18, from 18 to verse 22... It, this passage says to Israel, in effect, you are, you're to listen to my voice. God's speaking. Yahweh is speaking. He says, you're to listen to Yahweh's voice through the prophets. He's going to send prophets. You need to listen to the voice of Yahweh through the prophets. To disobey a true prophet is to disobey God. But look at verse 20 then in Deuteronomy. It says, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in the name of the Lord... Or in my name. We're talking about a false prophet now. He's, he presumes to speak a, a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods. That same prophet shall die. And if you say in your heart, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken? So how am I going to detect a false prophet? In other words, well, verse 22, when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord, If the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. In other words, don't listen to that prophet. Another way to tell a false prophet is if they, if they prophesy wrongly, if they get something wrong. You see, God is never wrong. And so it is with his true prophets, because God is ultimately speaking through the true prophet, a true prophet will speak rightly. They, he will, they will never get it wrong. A hundred percent accuracy is required of prophets. And the penalty in the Old Testament was death for, for lacking anything less than a hundred percent accuracy. Now we're not to enforce the, the death penalty today, but but if a prophet ever prophesies something that doesn't come true, then never listen to that person again. They have presumed to speak in the name of the Lord, and that's a serious, serious sin in God's sight. They have, they have falsely spoken in the name of God. So 100% accuracy, that's the, that's the second test, I guess, if we're going to go back. Now, now I want you to go back to Deuteronomy 13, and I, I want to show you a third test. A third test. Deuteronomy 13. In this case, the so-called word from God, for the word from Yahweh, comes true. Now this test involves comparing what they say with existing scriptures. So starting at verse 1, Deuteronomy 13, verse 1. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, and the sign or the wonder that he tells you comes to pass... And if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice and you shall serve him and hold fast to him. But that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you up out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk so you shall purge the evil from your midst. Now whatever... a a true prophet prophesies, this is kind of just un- unpacking this a little bit, whatever a, a true prophet prophesies will be consistent with Scripture. And if it isn't consistent with Scripture, they are false prophets. And so it must correspond with Scripture. The, the second test is whatever some prophet comes along, if they're a true prophet, it will correspond with Scripture especially with the command to to love the Lord your God with all your heart and to walk in His ways. And so prophecy must be 100% accurate. It must correspond with Scripture. That's the second test. And then the third test is that the prophet himself must be living a life that reflects the God-centered righteousness of the Sermon on the Mount. 
And it's for this very reason, for these reasons, that I personally, and, and we'd have to go into this another time, but that this is why, or at least this is one of the reasons why, I believe that the gifts of, of prophecy and the supernatural gifts of the Spirit have ceased. Because when we look at what true prophecy is, and we see what it is according to Scripture, 100% accurate, corresponds with Scripture, the prophet himself lives that way in, in godliness and righteousness. When we look at what true prophecy is, and we see what Scripture says, and then we look at the claims of the prophets that are in the world today, we say those claims are, they even themselves say, well, I'm not 100% accurate. 50, 50, they, th- they say 50-50 is good. God says 100% or you should die. And it's the same with the other gifts. Look at the gifts of healing and miracles. And you look at what they are in Scripture. They're supernatural, dynamic, powerful gifts of healing. You look at the so-called gifts of miracles that are supposedly happening today. It's not the same as what they were in Scripture. And same with the gift of tongues. You talk about the gift of tongues. It's a real language that you never learned that just comes on you by the Holy Spirit. You look at the tongues that's going on today and it's jibba jabba jabba, shoulda bada honda bada bada kia. Um, did you, I don't know if you caught that, but shoulda bada honda bada bada kia. You just, it's just, it's nonsense gibberish. And so the, one of the reasons that I'm a cessationist is because I want to be biblical. And when you look at what the Bible says and you look at what's supposedly happening, it's not biblical. I don't want nothing to do with it. And if it's not biblical, I don't want you to have nothing to do with it. And so, and, and, and really the primary one for me is this whole thing about prophecy. Prophecy is the reason, the very reason why we trust our Bible. And so we can't have half right prophets, sometimes right prophets. That is no prophet at all. That's a false prophet and a false teacher who will lead you astray. And so Jesus tells us to beware of these people. Now, I want to close with a, uh, by reading from a section of the book called Pilgrim's Progress by John Bunyan. And in this book, there's an interpreter, and the interpreter represents the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the one who, who teaches the Christian, his name is Christian, about, about this journey on the narrow way. And here's what the interpreter says. He says, quote, Then said interpreter, come in and I will show thee that which will be profitable to thee. So he commanded his man to light a candle and he bid Christian follow him. And so he had him into a private room and he bid his man open the door, the which when he had done, and so he opens this door, Christian saw the picture of a very grave person hang up against the wall. And this was the fashion of it. Here's this picture that's hanging on the wall. It had its eyes lifted up to heaven, the best of books in his hand, and the law of truth was written on his lips. The world was behind its back, and it stood as if it pleaded with men, and a crown of gold did hang over its head. And Christian asks then, then said Christian, what means this? What is this vision I've seen? What is this thing I've seen? And the interpreter says, quote, the man whose picture this is, is one of a thousand. He can beget children, 1 Corinthians 4.15, travail in birth with children's Galatians 4.19, and nurse them himself when they are born. And whereas thou seest him with his eyes lift up to heaven, the best of books in his hand, the law of truth writ on his lips, it is to show thee that his work is to know and unfold the dark things to sinners. Even as thou also seest him stand as if he pleaded with men, and whereas thou seest the world as cast behind him, and that a crown hangs over his head, that is to show thee that slighting and despising the things that are present for the love that he has for his master's service, he is sure that in the the world that comes next to have glory for his reward. Now said the interpreter, I have showed thee this picture first, Because the man whose picture this is, is the only man whom the Lord of the place, whither thou art going, and he's going, he's on his way to the celestial city. This is the, the only man whom the Lord of the place, whither thou art going, hath authorized to be thy guide in all difficult places thou mayest meet with in the way. 
This is the only man, the guy with the world behind his back, the best of books in his hands, the, the word of truth on his lips, who pleads with sinners and has a, a, a crown of glory. That is the only man who is to lead us in the way that we are going. Christian, or, or the interpreter says, wherefore, take good heed to what I have showed thee, and bear well in thy mind what thou hast seen, lest in thy journey thou meet with some that pretend to lead thee right, but their way goes down to death. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word to beware of false prophets, to beware of false teachers, to beware of those who would lead us astray from this life that you have called us to. Pray that we would heed this. Pray that we would be this this man, this kind of a church that would, that would truly lead people in life, that we would be the, the good fruit, the good trees that bear good fruit. And that if we are not, that you would, by your mercy, bring us into the narrow way, through the narrow gate, that we might follow you in truth. We ask in Jesus' name, amen.